CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Friday's edition of To Every Man and Answer as we wrap up this week. We once again want to just encourage you, keep reading your Bible. Boy, it's the only book right now in the whole world that will tell you the truth. You know, once again, we look at all the things going on in the world. You know, I've never seen it quite like this before, where you have war really rumored all over the world. You've got China wanting to take Taiwan. You have North Korea wanting to take South Korea. You have the problems in the Middle East and also Israel, the Gaza, and now with the United States. It's interesting, in the in the, just the last uh, day or so, the United States is putting sanctions on the settlers in the West Bank, putting sanctions on the Israelis in the West Bank. The West Bank was won by Israel in the Six-Day War, where they were attacked by a group of Arab countries. And Israel won the war. And so they kept the the uh, West Bank, the Golan Heights. But now all of a sudden, no, it's called the Occupied Territories. No, it's not. That was one fair and square in a war. And somebody needs to explain to President Biden that when you get into a war and you lose, as these, uh, these uh, Arab countries did, you lose ground. Well, it's the same thing with the Gaza. You never hear anybody from the United Nations, the United States, saying, Hamas, declare a surrender, and all the fighting will stop. You'll never hear that. You hear Israel called to do a ceasefire, but you'll never hear them say, Hamas, who started the war, surrender. Things that make you go, hmm. Well, we set this time aside every weekday afternoon to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible, encouraging you to really dig in. We are in some exciting times now. And so if you've got a question, please call us. We'll do our very best to answer that for you, give you a good biblical answer. 8888-ASK-CSN is the number to call. You can be part of the program today. And joining me, special guest, from Pacific Justice Institute, our attorney at law. We have with us Brad Dacus, representing people like you and me against unfair laws. Hi and welcome, Brad. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's great to be on the show. Looking forward to uh, uh, being with you, answering some questions with you. And boy, we got all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the world. America now putting sanctions on Israeli settlers in land that they won in the Six-Day War. Can you explain this to me? Because maybe I'm just not getting something right here. Yeah, it uh, really doesn't make sense. So Germany started a war, you know, World War II. Um, they ended up with less less territory. They lost part of the their uh, part of what was what is now Poland. Um, they used to have that before the war, but they caused the war. They lost, so they lost territory. Japan, World War II. They bombed Pearl Harbor. They started the war. Um, they lost the war, and they lost some of their land, uh, which is now actually occupied by the United States. Um, it, this is his history. And yet uh, Israel has been on the defense in war after war after war um, by those out to annihilate them, 
uh, not just take part of their land, but to destroy them. And Israel, when they prevail, rightly, uh, takes more property, more land, um, at the very least to serve as a buffer, to make sure their enemies will not uh, take them out. In fact, Israel has been actually very gracious in the fact that they allowed their enemies that want them to be annihilated uh, to, by and large, uh, still occupy uh, those territories, the West Bank and, and Gaza. So, um, you know, it's it's those that want to continue to conspire and send missiles to, to for their destruction. Uh, Israel has been the most gracious nation I ever have ever seen in history when it comes to how they've responded to those who uh, commit war acts against them and try to annihilate them. Uh, we in the United States have, uh, we have, we should, there's only one answer, and that is to be 100% supportive of Israel and their right to exist and to aggressively take out those who so determined to have them wiped off the, off the mat. Yeah, one of the things everybody needs to remember, and of course, uh, our American news media, so deceitful in the way they report the news. The, the thing we have to remember is uh, a Palestinian is not a race of people. A Palestinian is anyone that lived in the land when the United Nations declared Israel to be a nation in 1948. So there was Jewish Palestinians, American Palestinians, Chinese Palestinians. Anybody living in the land when Israel became a state was in the land of Palestine. Well, so there's a difference because Palestinians are not a race of people. Now, Israelis, the Jews, are a race of people. And so there's a big difference here. And first of all, no one gave the current Palestinians the right to say that they're the only Palestinians. That is something they assumed. Because again, there were American Palestinians, Jewish Palestinians, anybody living in the area in 1948 when Israel became a state. So we have to really understand the history to realize how skewed everything is here when it comes to this idea of mountains to the sea, the annihilation of it. Because again, this was not something Israel did. This was something the United Nations did in giving Israel their land, land that really no one even wanted. But because I believe God's favor is with Israel— the Negev Desert, as the Bible says in the last days, will bloom like a rose. And certainly with the advantage of drip irrigation, Israel is one of the largest exporter of fruit in the world. One of the largest nations of exporting fruit to especially Europe. So when we look at this, we begin to realize that we are in a very special time in history. Now, people have often said, wouldn't it have been neat to live when Jesus lived, saw the miracles that he did, all these different things? Oh, that would have been great, friends. But I think the second greatest time to live is right now, when all the things that Jesus said concerning the last days are happening right now. You say, well, like what things? Well, if you go to the book of Luke chapter 21, Jesus said that Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Well, interestingly enough, Jerusalem is under Jewish control. In fact, when Jesus said that, it was under Roman control. Then 70 AD, a Roman general named Titus came in, leveled the city of Jerusalem, and it laid waste for almost two millennia. And now all of a sudden, 
against incredible odds, it is the capital of Israel, just as Jesus said it would be. Now, here's some interesting news for you. Jesus said the generation that sees this will not pass away till all things are fulfilled concerning the return of Christ. So we're living in some exciting times. Be about your father's business. Pray daily. Say, Lord, what will you have me to do for you today? And you'll see the blessing. You know, Brad, we live in some some incredible times. And again, I believe with that, we have to understand that we, we see the demise of the United States. We see the uh, we we see the wars globally. Uh, we see the pestilences. We see underdeveloped nations. North Korea, 30th poorest country on earth, now has and developing nuclear weapons. These should cause concern for everybody. And those people that say, oh, since our fathers fell asleep, all things remain as they are. That's exactly what the Bible says they'll say in our time, because they can't interpret the data at hand. When you look and realize that you have a nation like North Korea, those people in that country are starving to death. They haven't got anything to lose for bombing somebody. So when we begin to realize that we're in a different time, then when we read Revelation, the Bible says every living thing in the sea dies. All the trees are burned up. Hailstones bigger than bowling balls falling out of the sky the Bible says every mountain and island moves out of its place. Friends, we're headed for some crazy things. But Jesus said this, Luke 21, that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things that are coming upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. I believe that's where Revelation chapter 5 comes in, where they were standing before the throne saying, concerning these days, who has redeemed us from every tribe, kindred, tongue and nation, and we're standing there before the Lord. And then, and then everyone, Revelation 6 starts, the beginning of the tribulation period. So being about your daddy's business, so important in these days. And so uh, once again, let's go to the phones. Again, 8888, ask CSN if you want to be part of the program today. Got some lines open. Let's go to Michael, New Mexico. Hi, welcome. Hello, how are you? Good. How may we help? Um, I just had a question, and uh, you know, there's a lot of things that the church—I mean, a lot of churches, you know—are allowing, you know, as far as same-sex marriage. But I think the biggest one that they don't talk about no more, or preach about no more, is divorce and remarriage. And I just want to know why and why don't why are they so afraid to address divorce and remarriage in the church today? Well, I, I think there's a, a a lot of problems with that. You know, we, we have, you know, a hundred years ago, we had relatively biblically defined roles for a man and a woman. Today, that's all gone. And so when we find somebody, we find a couple, they get married. Maybe that one of them is from a broken home where their mother had to be their father as well because dad ran off when they were two years old. That person's going to have a different concept and a different viewpoint of a woman's role and a man's role in the home. And so I believe that now as we add all these different backgrounds into the mix, I believe this is why that biblical understanding of what makes a family work is so important. 
And so when we understand again, when Jesus talked about divorce and remarriage, he was primarily describing a Levitical marriage. That's where the parents knew the parents of the children that were getting married. It carried a mutual blessing between families. Those people got married, and they had that understanding. But today, that's not here anymore. And so this is why uh, when Jesus spoke about uh, divorce, that he never said you couldn't marry somebody else. You just didn't divorce the person you were married to. I mean, when you really look at it, which of the old patriarch fathers did not have more than one wife? No, I'm not advocating polygamy, but what I'm saying is when we understand what Jesus said concerning marriage and concerning divorce, um, to divorce a woman in Jesus' time would just about make a person destitute. Um, and so uh, you would build a house for him and back and marry somebody else. That That's the that's what was going on there. That's why uh, even, even the qualifications for being a pastor— when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, the husband of one wife, which is carried over from the Old Testament, not a polygamist. You need to be concerned about the things of God, not be spreading your time so thin amongst many wives and all these other problems. And so I believe, again, this is one of the reasons why we find the condition of the church that it's in right now is because the Bible has not really been taught what a man's role is, what a woman's role, because it's not in vogue. It's not Gucci. It's not cool, man. I mean, women are men and men are women, and we can go into either bathroom we want to. You see, this is where the whole breakdown has come. So the church then, unfortunately, kind of backs off from all of it and just, well, whatever whatever goes, it goes. And I believe this is where a lot of the problems come from, because again, we see this this breakdown. Now, Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. God hates divorce, but the Bible says also God hates a lot of other things. He said six things the Lord hates, and the seventh are an abomination to him in the Old Testament. Divorce is not listed there. Oh, those that uh, cause discord among the brethren, God hates. Those that spread and make up a lie, God hates. Those are things. But again, there's a lot of things in the Bible that God hates. But the thing is, it's forgivable. And that's where we always want to focus on. And even in a uh, uh, a relationship, uh, as a homosexual relationship, to get out of it, it's forgivable by God. Your thoughts? Yeah, God's grace is is tremendous. Uh, that grace is significant when we understand the depth of our sin and the existence of sin. That's what makes God's grace so not not cheap, but but uh, so valuable to us. Uh, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. So now I, I understand where the caller is coming from in that, you know, some sin in our society, the church will jump on, um, and other sin they just sort of, they often just ignore. Um, you know, the fact yeah. is we had a breakdown in the family. Our society was uh, starting, in, especially in the, the six, late 60s and the 70s, uh, the uh, feminist movement and, uh, it was uh, brought a lot of uh, destruction, uh, confusion uh, with regards to, to men, women, expectations, um, et cetera. And, uh, and the easy way out was to get divorced. Well, then we have a whole generation now of young people, um, Christians attending church, churches, young, young people in their, their 20s and 30s. Um, they're shacking up. They're having sex on the third, fourth, fifth date. 
not thinking much of it at all. Uh, so there's a real problem with the church ignoring this. Um, they should talk about adultery. They should talk about fornication, which is when you're shacking up with someone you're not married to or having sex with someone you're not married to. Um, they, they shouldn't hide these things because they're prevalent in the church. That which is prevalent, I believe, needs to be more of a focus uh, to the church as opposed to something that they just ignore. Um, when there's a sickness on a part of the body, uh, you don't ignore it and, and pay attention to your healthy parts. You focus on that which is the greatest sickness, the greatest illness to the body. And in this regard, to the body of Christ, uh, churches need to be addressing those issues. Some churches and some urban communities, uh, you know, about 50% of the of the women in their congregation have aborted and murdered their preborn babies. And yet those churches are the same ones to avoid talking about it because they don't want to offend all the people in their church. They need to address the sin, fully address the forgiveness and grace through Christ uh, that we have through Christ, but not ignore it. And so I, I take it to heart um, that we need to have that balance dealing with all sin, especially that, especially that which is prevalent uh, in the body of Christ uh, where we are today. Michael, I hope that helps. Thank you. And uh, something else to go along with that very quickly is me as as a pastor. I know that Brad, as a attorney and, and a person that can practice law, marriages and stuff, uh, we won't marry a Christian to a non-Christian. Uh, that's forbidden in Scripture. Oh, but they're so nice and they're so cute. That doesn't matter. The Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? If you're listening to this today, and uh, maybe you've been really praying about, God, what should I do? And you're dating a non-Christian person or living with a person that's not born again, that's pulling you away from Christ. The Bible says to separate yourself from these kind of people because they're not going to do you good in the whole course of your life. So again, don't be dating non-believers. Well, well I'm going to lead them to the Lord. Well, then that's being a little disingenuous, too. You know, it's not the date them, dunk them, and drop them thing. You want to be about your father's business. And when you involve yourself, you want to find somebody that has the same values that you do. Well, he says he's a Christian. Yeah, but what's the fruit in his life? Is he turning it on or is she turning it on because you're a Christian and then after you marry them, the real them comes out? See, these are the problems. You know if a person's been serving God even before they met you, it's a pretty good chance that that person's going to keep serving God after you marry him. But you know, a lot of times people turn it on and turn it off the way they want to. You know, I heard it said one time, there is not a single problem in a divorce that wasn't evident in the marriage. And I found this to be the case. I've had people come up to me and say, I'm divorcing my spouse. Why? Well, they're a raging alcoholic. And I say, well, did he, did she drink when you married him? Well, yeah. Well, why did you marry him then? Well, I didn't think it would be a problem. Listen, if you see a problem in the courtship, pretty much guaranteed it's going to be a real problem in the marriage. Michael, hope that helps. Stay in line. Send you out some books, some DVDs, Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort. The movie Jesus, Evolution, or excuse me, um, uh, God of Wonders, and a little book called Time to Grow. We'll send that out to you for calling and okay? Thank you. God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Maria, Bakersfield, California. Hi, welcome. 
Hi, yes. Good afternoon, Pastor Mike. Good afternoon, Brad. Um, my question is regarding Exodus 6, um, chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. And it is when God says, And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Um, and through my studies, I know God Almighty is um, El Shaddai, and mm-hmm. then my name, Lord, being Yahweh. But why? my question is, why the distinction, if, if, if you know that, that answer? Okay, Brad, your thoughts. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you take on that one because I'm still turning my pages to where she's talking about. Go ahead. Okay. Well, and let me just read this to you the best I can from the original. It says, uh, and again, as we go to uh, verse two of Exodus six, chapter six, it says, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, "I am Yahweh." This is what he said. Now. Uh, again, sometimes comes across in English as the word Jehovah, but there is no J sound in the Hebrew uh, language, so it's Y. Uh, again, uh, as it as it tells us, Y H W H. So Yahweh, uh, and so he says, "I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name." Lord was not known to them. It is interesting that God revealed to Moses his full name. And I think this is important because uh, even the pagans sometimes would know God by another name, like uh, El Elyon, the Most High God. And so oftentimes, though they did not know who God was, they would recognize the supreme one or the, the 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 greatest god there is and that would be el elion the most high god and so um it is interesting that we find this more of a personal relationship with god uh that moses had even though god uh, revealed himself miraculously to abraham isaac and jacob uh uh amazingly but here we find God revealing another part of himself. And I do believe as you study through scripture and as you and as you examine your own walk with the Lord, you'll find and discover things about God you did not know. That's one of the reasons why we read the Bible all the time, is because God reveals himself through his word. Some may know God is only their friend, and I've had people say that to me. Well, you know, you know, Jesus is my big buddy upstairs. Well, they don't know him as they don't know him as Lord. They don't know him as Savior. See, and I believe this is what happens when we walk with the Lord, and this is why when we're in right relationship with God via being born again, as Jesus said in John chapter three. I believe this is where we begin to really understand who God is. And this is what is really interesting to me, is that Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father, which art in heaven, Daddy. Now, this is very foreign to cults and to religions of the world, because God is always an unknowable an unknowable creature or 
uh, one that's very disconnected, like almost like a deist would be, that there is a God, but he, he has nothing to do with the affairs of men. Uh, you, you would find that God must continually be appeased by the burning of incense, and so you find this in your Middle Eastern religions. Isn't it interesting to know that humankind, when you get into the spiritual world, realizes that we are an offense to God, thus the incense burning? That's the continual uh, sacrifice, because we realize that we are in not right standing with God. But when we come to Christ, what the blood of bulls and goats could never do, what the burning of incense could never do, God has reconciled us to the Father through Jesus Christ. And so I believe this is why you find the progression of God's revelation of who he is. And someday when we stand before him in heaven, we'll have a full revelation for who he is. And not just then when we stand there before the Lord, but I believe to really understand who God is will take eternity. What's beyond the stars? What's inside the atom? The Bible says throughout all of eternity, God's going to show us his greatness. And the more he shows us his greatness, the more he's going to reveal to us, I believe, who he is. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I think it's also really important to remember how um, how our God has his arms open wide all the time. You know, he's he's not a God who, you know, we have to doubt whether or not he wants to, to be close to us, whether he wants to for us to, to be close to him. His arms are open wide. Uh, Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be open unto you. You know, God uh, wants us to seek him. And if we seek him with a humble heart, seeking the Lord, uh, our God is an awesome God that will reveal himself and draw us closer to him. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's, an, it's, it's just a, a real testament to uh, the power of God, the grace of God, as we see how God works in our lives after we receive him as Lord and Savior and we surrender our lives to him. Um, as we grow in him, as we seek him, um, God responds and, and reveals himself to us uh, through his word and through the Holy Spirit. Um, and so uh, this is a, it's an exciting thing. I think you're right when you talk about like other religions, they sort of have this, this fear of this force out there, whether it's Eastern religions or even, ma, ma, you know, you know, uh, Allah and Islam. Um, our God is very personal and he's there with his arms open wide for us to connect with him. Yeah. And so this is the first time God reveals his name to humans. And so very interesting part in the scripture. Hey, we're coming up on a break, everyone. We don't want you to go away. We're going to have a whole lot more coming up right after this. We'll be right back. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. 
Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. Here you go. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Are you ready to study to show yourself approved? A workman not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? In this sad, lonely, and lost generation, people need help. They need Jesus. And who can present the gospel better than you? Calvary Chapel University wants to be a helper of your joy so you can go out and make disciples who make disciples. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today and you'll earn outstanding scholarships. Most of our CCU graduates graduate early or on time, debt-free and sound doctrinally. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today. Skip Heitzig is one of our faculty members, and David Guzik is not only a board member, but he just earned his Master of Divinity at CCU. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today, and watch God move powerfully in your life. want to welcome you back to part two of Every Man and Answer here on this Friday with Brad Dacus from Pacific Justice Institute. We're glad to have you with us, Brad. And we were speaking with Marie concerning the name of God. And really, when it comes right down to it, when we find this in Exodus 6, it's where, uh, where the names had been used before in different times. It was the first time that we find here the name used uh, as a relationship, not as a general term. So I hope that helps, Marie. Thank you, guys. Thank you for this program, and thank you for all that you do, both of you. We're so grateful. God is good. Stay in line. Send you out uh, things I think you'll really enjoy. Great for evangelism to get, give to your friends and get them back and relend them out. And So, uh, Marie, that's for you. And uh, stay in line. We'll get you fixed up. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Sherry, Billings, Montana. Hi, and welcome. Hi. Um, so I have a question I was reading. Um, I believe it's in Second Chronicles, and it was about um, when Saul was running from David at the end of his life, and he had a witch divine up a prophet who gave Saul advice about his life. And, and yes, it, uh-huh. it was the witch of Endor. And because God would not speak to Saul anymore because of his rebellion to God. The, uh, Saul was a person, after he had a couple of victories, he went all over Israel erecting monuments to himself. Not to God, who gave him the victory, but to Saul, who had been filled with himself. Now, remember, on his coronation day, when he became the first king of Israel, he was so shy, he was out hiding in the tractors. The Bible says hiding out in the farm implements. Uh, but by the end of his life, he was so full of himself, and because he wouldn't call upon God, except when he was in real trouble, and finally God just wouldn't speak to him anymore. Uh, that's why the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord while he may be found. A lot of people, you know, they, they toy with God um, as as if it's a foolish game. And then, you know, I'll, I'll call on God when I really got a problem. You know, the Bible says, uh, you know, 
we we die daily with Christ. We we need to have a relationship with him daily. And so because uh, he was up, he knew he was in trouble because he was up against the Philistines, uh, 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 Amalekites and all, a formidable army. Uh, he knew he was in trouble. And so he uh, disguised himself and he went to the witch at Endor. And she says, whom do you want me to call up for you? And he says, call up Samuel. And so in the middle of her seance, calling Samuel up, she screams because probably most of the stuff she was doing was phony. But this time, God allowed Samuel to come back from the dead. Now, there's a lot of people saying, well, it really wasn't Samuel. Well, the Bible says it was Samuel. So you got to take it up with God if you don't want to agree with that. The Bible says it was Samuel. And Samuel said, tomorrow you'll be with me. Now, I don't believe he meant in Abraham's bosom, but I believe he meant in the place of the dead. Now, Jesus spoke of this place. It was divided into two compartments. There was the place of comfort, Abraham's bosom side, and the place of torment, which the rich man went into and waiting the great white throne judgment when everybody's works come to full fruition. Remember, when a person dies, it doesn't stop the evil uh, that they have done. It continues to go on, such as a person that starts a cult. Maybe there's only a couple dozen at the time the cult has started. Now there may be millions. No, there's going to be a big judgment. And just because a person dies doesn't stop that. That's why the millennial reign of Christ happens. And then at the end of that, everybody whose name was not found in the book of life is judged. Full accounting of their life. Think of the people that bought into the lie of evolution because of Darwin. Uh, you think about all these different things, the people that teach Darwinism, even though DNA uh, proves it's fake, even though they know there's no transitory or transitional life forms, fossilized or living, that would prove what Darwin said. It's a religion, but it's taught as fact. I believe there'll be a judgment for this kind of stuff. And so, again, Sherry, now, I wanted to give that background so people understood. What is your question? Well, I just didn't really understand how God was kind of used through the witch. I mean, it just seemed odd because it was against the law. Saul himself had said, you know, we can't have yes, this. And absolutely. That's why he dressed, he disguised himself. And and I believe when Samuel was allowed to go back uh, uh, and 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 visit with Saul, I believe when she saw him coming, that's why she screamed, um, because it was not a normal occurrence. We know in the Bible, trying to contact the dead is forbidden, but Saul was so far out of the will of God that he didn't care. He was doing what he wanted to do. And she said to uh, and Samuel said to him, "Tomorrow you'll be dead." So um, now something really interesting to me about this. A lot of people miss this in this story, but if Saul, as he did this, was told he's going to die tomorrow, you would think that this man would have got on his knees, repented with everything he had, poured out his heart before God, but he didn't do any of those things. Uh, to me, it's really amazing that 
If you, any of us listening today, knew that tomorrow at noon you're going to die, boy, I'll tell you, I'd live the rest of the day and up till noon tomorrow in a much different way than maybe I normally would have lived it. But not for Saul. You see, this is the problem and what a hard heart that's turned against the Lord can do. Your thoughts, Brad? Yeah, I know some people can look at this passage and and think, well, you know, um, yeah, I, I want to talk to my parents. Um, I want to talk to loved ones. I want to uh, bring back. So I'm going to go to a, a witch or a sorcerer. Um, and uh, that is is very, first, is very dangerous uh, in the, that uh, it's demonic. Um, and uh, this is something God does not bless. Uh, if, uh, you know, this is the an, a, an exception to what we see, but only but by the, the hand of God. Uh, do, uh, did this t- take place? Did Samuel, was Samuel allowed to, you know, to, to appear for that purpose to directly, um, you know, to, uh, to challenge and, and to, con- you know, hopefully convict, uh, Saul? So, um, you know, I just want to encourage people not to, to say, well, I'm going to go to a seance person because a seance person doesn't have power. The Lord God is the one who has power and authority. And, um, and so I, I just, encourage people not to not to fall into that uh, uh the, the satan is a great deceiver as well so if someone you know you hear these, these stories they go to this seance person or this person and and supposedly they're they're hearing from some relative um you know first a lot of that is just it's just hoax it's it's fraud uh but if if it's even if it's not fraud um i would call it a, a demonic deception and uh and people should stay away from that it's it's very very uh, you know, dangerous uh, to su- to submit yourself in any way uh, to uh, the, the the powers of Satan and, and his, his his dominion. Amen. And uh, uh, Larry Norman years ago, one one of the early people that that um, uh, that reached out to a lost generation through rock music and stuff. He had a song, and one of the chorus lines were, um, "Keep your table on the floor and don't you listen to the dead." I, I think that's so true today because, again, people are looking for spiritual um, uh, experience, but the Bible says there's a lot of counterfeit, and you got to be careful. I hope that helps, Sherry. Yes, thank you. And and so uh, stay on the line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs I think you'll enjoy. And uh, Sherry, God bless you. Any more questions as you're reading along, please. Please call us. We love to talk to you. Let's go to Tom, Pittsburgh, Kansas, I believe it is. Hi, welcome. Yeah, hi, pastors. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. I love your show. And yes, how may we help? Yeah, hi. I have a question. Um, I'm a member of an independent Baptist church, and we have, I guess you'd call it a policy, where when we give uh, communion or the Lord's Supper, there's a requirement that anyone who partakes is baptized. And I've kind of, uh, I, I help administer the elements. I'm, uh, it's a small church, so I'm, I'm uh, the only deacon there. And I just, I, when we did this last Sunday, I just have this feeling because there's people sitting there that uh, I'm I'm fairly certain they're saved or 
but they pass it along and, and they just have this look on their face, you know, and I, and I got to, I just thought to myself, is this right for us? If someone's saved, I know baptism is, is part of being a Christian. It's encouraged. And, and, but is it, or is it a requirement? Is it, should the church mediate, you know, who can take it like that or not? Well, the Bible says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Yes, there's some places in the Bible that says a person needs to be baptized in as an act of obedience, not for salvation. This is where a lot of people uh, get messed up. Something I'm going to do is going to make me holy. I'm going to get baptized, and that makes me something. Dangerous theology. Uh, they, they'll, they'll oftentimes quote, misquote, in the book of John, unless a man is born of the water and of the Spirit, he won't enter into the kingdom of God. The water there is not, is not baptism. Very clear, if you read it, if anybody reads it without a preconceived idea, you would never come to that conclusion. Because Jesus is talking, Nicodemus is saying, well, what do I got to do? Go back in my mom? What's the... He very understood that. The water breaks, out comes the baby. And Jesus said, just as you have a natural birth, you need a supernatural birth. Something died back in the garden when man ate of the tree. It's been dead ever since. We need to be born again. That's what that is all talking about. Also notice the order would be wrong. Unless a man is born of the water and of the Spirit. No, that isn't the way we're saved. You're born of the Spirit, and then you would be baptized after but that's not what the Bible says, unless a man is born of the water and of the Spirit. So the whole context is about going back in your mom, being born again, that whole scene. Nicodemus understood that, and people that read need to understand that. The idea that you have to be baptized in order to be born again, that is not in the Bible. Thief on the cross, a good illustration of that. And so understanding these things. Yes, in the book of Acts, it says uh, there in chapter two or three, it says that um, uh, to repent and be baptized. But primarily, he was addressing the Jewish culture, which John the Baptist was doing as well. In order to convert to Judaism in the Old Testament, you would renounce your pagan deity, you would embrace Yahweh as your God, and then you would take a ceremonial washing. Now, Understanding that, John the Baptist came to the Jewish nation saying, you, Jewish nation, you need to take a ceremonial washing. Thus the name John the Baptist. You see, again, really, uh, baptism is not really an option. It's a commandment. It's an act of obedience. But if a person accepted Christ as their Savior and died without being baptized— I don't find that that person would go to hell. And I think to deny somebody communion because they have not been baptized, you'll never find a verse in the Bible that will support that. Unless you're saying a person is not born again unless they're baptized. And if that's the problem, then we have to enter works into the whole salvation process, where then what else are we going to add on that? The Bible does not say that we uh, will not go to heaven unless we're baptized. And I believe this is a real problem. And again, a proof point is the thief on the cross. 
I've actually heard people say, well, you know when it got real dark? The Bible says it went dark. Well, those were thunderstorm clouds, and it rained on the thief on the cross, and that was his baptism. Boy, talk about going to the moon with bad doctrine. But that's what people will do. No good thing dwells in the flesh. There is nothing you, me, I, anyone does to make ourselves spiritual. This is a complete work of God. We're not born again in ourselves, but it's something that God does for us. We are transformed when we put on his righteousness. And again, I do believe baptism is an act of obedience, and it's something we need to do. The Bible says that. But I do not believe a person has to be baptized in order to go to heaven and or to have communion. The Bible does not say that. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I know that uh, independent Baptists listening to this may be saying to themselves right now, well, we don't believe you have to be baptized to go to heaven. Um, we just want to you know, make sure that the people taking communion are, are really are Christians because we know the Bible has serious ramifications if people uh, take the commun- you know, take communion and are are not sincere in their faith and um, and so uh, you know they're looking at this as just sort of a a filtering to make sure that that there's people not taking communion who are pay- people that are, make sure people don't take communion who should not be taking communion. The problem with that uh, goes back to the fact of once again, baptism is not a a sure test of whether someone's even a Christian. You can have non-believers that are baptized, that go through the motion and think they've got their little ticket to heaven, but their heart has not repented. Their heart has not surrendered uh, to the Lord. Uh, so it's it's not a, a valid test even really of salvation. Um, and uh, and it can also be uh, confusing to, to many people when we do things like that for them to start thinking maybe in the back of their minds, yeah, doctrinally, um, I know I'm technically saved just by, you know, by faith in, in, in Jesus, my Lord and Savior, but this baptism thing, I, I don't feel like I'm as much of a Christian. Maybe I'm, I'm only three-fourths a Christian. It, uh, it, it could create a, 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 a bad um, leveling in our minds that God just didn't, didn't create. God wants us to be obedient. He wants us to be baptized. Um, and it's not something that we should use in a way that the Scripture does not talk about. That is, as a test um, as to whether someone's saved or not. And if someone is saved, God commands them. Take communion, um, and there's no qualifier for that if you're baptized or not. So, uh, I also I want to say that if if you're attending a church like that, there are some things that I, I would say are, you know, just uh, deal breakers, if you will. Um, if you go to a church that doesn't believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, or uh, things like that, uh, but this is not what I would call a deal breaker, uh, and you know, you can ex- express your your concerns and opinions. But I would not just automatically leave that church. Uh, I would seek the Lord on that. Um, you know, there's uh, this is this is not something that I would qualify to have a, a church split over, uh, so long as they're not teaching that baptism is uh, necessary for salvation. I think that is a, a doctrine that is uh, is something that's difficult for for a congregation to reconcile if, if there's disagreement on that. And also, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 deals with this of partaking of communion unworthily. And am I worthy? Am I worthy? The fact of the matter is, everyone, none of us are worthy. That's the fact. So what is Paul talking about there? 
Well, when you look at the context, they had turned communion into a drunken party. He says, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? He says, when you come together, it's for your worse, not for your better. He says, those that partake of communion in an unworthy fashion, you drink condemnation to yourself. And for this reason, many are sick and dead among you. So people say, oh, well, then I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Listen, it's not talking about that. Some people need to go back and learn third grade English. What the Bible is talking about there is partaking of communion in an unworthy fashion. Read the context, everyone. The context is that if I view communion as this kind of a crazy church ritual, let's get it over with so we can go get in the buffet line to eat food afterwards, you're partaking of communion in an unworthy fashion. Because this is what the Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. When Jesus held up the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now, something we have to remember, his body was broken for us. If I regard communion as a goofy church ritual, which many people do, oh, it's communion Sunday, I don't know why we do this. I believe you're partaking of communion in an unworthy fashion. Remember this. We're very complex people. We're a body, mind, and a spirit. And all three of those need to be maintenance by God. Now, again, his body was broken so we could be healed. If I partake of communion, and I recognize that as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, that through that broken bread, my memories can be healed. My body can be healed. My ability to love can be healed. My ability to love can be healed. That's what that's talking about. But if I regard the medicine, you might say to heal our bodies, our mind, our spirit, as just some goofy church ritual, for this reason, many are sick and dead among you. It's not that we're worthy to have communion. It's the way you view communion is where the unworthiness comes in. Right. And the way the Corinthian church was viewing communion in context, again, context is everything in the Bible. They had changed communion into a drunken party. And so he says, look, it's like saying, look, if you go to the medicine cabinet right now and get that prescription and you eat it, you'll get well. Well, I'm not going to go to that medicine cabinet. I'm going to do my own thing. I mean, there's lots of pills in there. I'm not going to worry about that. You're going to die because you viewed the antidote for your illness as a waste of time. This is what Paul is pointing out. And I have seen so many churches and ministers preach that, are you worthy? Are you worthy to have communion, you low-down bug slime? No, it's not talking about that. We're all unworthy. There's no worthiness in any of us. The only righteousness we have is what Jesus Christ has given us. There is no good thing dwells in the flesh. And to this day, I'm amazed how many people, ministers, think, that they generate their righteousness. This is where the problem comes from. And so then they read 1 Corinthians 11 out of context. 
Are you worthy? No, I'm not. I never will be. But I view communion as that worthy medicinal healing that I need in my life. And I don't have to be baptized for that. Because, you see, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in what? Remembrance of me. Right. Not remembrance of baptism. So when we put it in context, Tom, I hope that clarifies it for you. I hope that helps. Absolutely. I, I do appreciate it. God bless you, Tom. Like I, like I agree with, with Brad, I don't think it's something I'd leave a church over, but because many people have never understood the worthiness part. Right. And, and again, we will never be worthy to do anything. The only worthiness we have, everyone, is what Jesus Christ has given us. Well, you know, I knock on doors. I sell flowers in airports. I eat only organically grown food. I sell, I, I, I wear orange. I, I do this. I help blind dogs across the street. I mean, I'm one cool dude. All means nothing. The Bible says filthy rags. The only righteousness that we have is what God has given us. And so I know it's not talking about that, but the way we view Scripture, the way we view these sacraments in the Bible, as communion is, marriage is another one. You view that as a meaningless thing. Let's get it out of the way. Um, yeah, I, I think that when you really need to be healed, and you know, I believe all of us, we need to be healed all the time. Now you say, well, what do you mean, Mike? I, I feel fine. When you hear somebody's name that you don't like, you grit your teeth, you need to be healed. Do you have animosity against somebody? You grit your teeth. Do you have somebody that ripped you off and every time you hear them, you think about the 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 $10,000 they owe you, they never paid you back, and you grit your teeth? You need to be healed. You see, God will soothe. He'll heal. He'll get a, a, a scab on that, and it'll eventually heal. That's why it's so important. Hope that helps, Tom. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. God bless you. Stand in line. I'll send you out some things for you and your church. I think you'll really enjoy. Let's go to Lori and Rupert. We've only got about a half a minute. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Um, Quick question, Exodus 4, verse 24 to 26. I was a little confused this morning when I was reading my one-year chronological Bible, uh, why Jesus was going to uh, kill Moses and his family on his way to Egypt. Because here, here he was going to stand up to the king of the world, Pharaoh, but he wouldn't do circumcision, which he knew was a, a right of Jewish people because of his, 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 his wife that was a Gentile. And so how are you going to stand up to the king of the world when you won't stand up to your own wife? And so God says, if you're not going to do that right, you're not going to do anything. And that's why, dear. Lori, I hope that answers it for you. Stay in the line. We're out of time. Bruce, the rest, please call us back. We'll put you on Monday. Brad, thanks so much for being on today. Thank you. If you got any legal questions, be sure to contact Brad Dacus at pji.org for legal issues. And again, God bless you. Have a safe weekend. Please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. 
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 